He described it as um, one of the most miraculous, um, beautiful moments that a human could experience is to experience a birth. And I, as he was talking, I truly thought to myself, man, this guy has never been in a delivery room. So, like... <laughs> Because that was, uh, that was definitely not my experience when my wife and I, we had our babies. Um, there was a lot of screaming involved, a lot of yelling. Um, I told my wife I was sorry afterwards, and I wouldn't do it for the next one, but there was a lot going on. But uh, <laughs> she's not here today. Um, our kids are sick. I'm actually sick today, too. Um, but she, my wife loves birth, so I'm, she actually loves being pregnant. She loves having kids. She actually was a doula at a period of time. She's brought all of our kids into this world by natural childbirth, so um, I'm, that's impressive. If you don't know what natural childbirth is, natural childbirth is when no drugs will be administered into the lady's body uh, throughout the delivery. Um, the dad can have all he wants, um, <laughs> but, but, uh, but, but none for the ladies. Uh, but I, I do, I remember those moments. I remember um, our babies coming out for the very first time, and I just remember thinking that this is the moment, this is the moment we've waited for our whole lives. We prayed and we asked God for, and we wanted to see if we could make. And I remember when Paisley came out the very first time, and I saw her, and I was like, oh. You know, and the doctor started cleaning her off, and she wasn't getting any better, you know. <laughs> Telling her, like, oh, my goodness, honey, you, uh, you just gave birth to a lizard, you know? <laughs> so head was misshapen, all that kind of stuff. Because she changed color, like, three times in the, in the midst of that. It's birth last week. And uh, giving birth, it, yes, it is beautiful. It is a miraculous moment thing. But uh, it, is, uh, it is also messy. It is painful, and that has been the case here. It has been really messy in, in starting this church. And what our hope is, is what we want to do, especially for these next uh, six weeks, is we want to kind of look at how the church was birthed. We want to look at the original church. We want to look at the book of Acts, and we want to walk through, hey, how did this church get started? Because we want to look like the original church. We just don't want to make a church the way that we want church to be. We want to kind of look like the original church because we want history to repeat itself because that original church, they made a huge impact. They changed the world. And so we're going to look, again, eight chapters for six weeks. And here's kind of the categories that we're going to break it down. We're going to go through, talk about God's promise today. We're going to talk about the message, basically the first sermon that was ever given. Then talk about the community of that church, how they were together and had all things in common. Then we'll talk about the cost, basically the stoning of Stephen, the mistakes that were made, Ananias and Sapphira. If you know that story, that's a good one. And then the scattering, how the church moved from Jerusalem to the rest of the world. And so that's what we're going to be doing. That's our goal. That's what we want to, because we, again, we want to look like the early church. And here's how we're going to do it. I think it's a good time to explain. The way that we're going to go about it is this. Is all of our series, hopefully, will be um, topically titled. So we'll have like a name, and it'll be like Acts, or it'll be like Heaven, or it'll be like Pain. But then what we're going to do is they're going to be delivered expositorily. So expositorily executed. And what that means is we're going to walk through Scripture verse by verse, line by line. And the reason we want to do that is that we want to take Scripture in context. We want to look at what was the original message that was given to the church or the original message that was given to the early church, and we want to take that message and then move that across time and move that across culture and find out what it is God's trying to say for us today. Because I don't want to just simply hop around through Scripture and make Scripture say what I want it to say. What I'd like to do is take Scripture in its context. So today, we're going to start that process, and that process is going to be verse by verse. So we're going to start... Right there, 
Acts 1, chapter 1, verse 1. So if you have a Bible, this is the time to pull it out and head there. And we're going to talk about the promise. Because, see, there was a promise that was made to us from God. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 1. It says, In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. So in order to do this, I need to give you a little bit of context. The guy who's talking, the guy who's writing is a guy named Luke. Luke is the author. He's also a Gentile, which means that he's just not a Jew. And he's a medical doctor. We know that he's a medical doctor and was a companion of Paul for a period of time. We also know that he doesn't have first-hand accounts. He wasn't an eyewitness to everything that was seen here. Um, In fact, what he is is he's a researcher. He's an interviewer. And so he went around to all the different people that were eyewitnesses, and he interviewed them and organized, because of his organized thoughts, he put them and documented them to record history, which is exactly what the book of Acts is. It is history. Now, if you notice there, he said, in my first book, he referenced a book that he had written earlier. Name of his first book? Luke. There you go. He wrote a book, (laughs) the Gospel of Luke. And in that book, he actually says this. He says, I carefully investigated and gave accurate accounts of what he saw so that we know we're getting historical information. All right, and so um, in the first book, the Gospel of Luke deals with Jesus, deals deals with his life, with his death, with his resurrection, and um, and that's what it deals with. Now, in this book, in the book of Acts, it deals with uh, the church, the birth of the church, and how the church rose up and headed on out. And what's cool is that if you literally were to take those two books and put them together, there's really no time. It just, it, the, the second one picks up where the first one leaves off. So it's like two books, one volume. It's kind of like Lord of the Rings. If you've ever read The Fellowship of the Ring, it stops, two towers picks up right where that's at, right? And then, and then The Return of the King picks up right where that left off. If you're not into that, all right, okay, there's four books. You could add The Hobbit into there. If you want to throw in the movies, we move to six, but I'm thinking that's stretching out the story a little too long, all right? So truly, it is two books but one volume, okay? All right, so here's things to notice. One is he mentions a guy named Theophilus. We don't know who Theophilus is. We have no idea the context. We just know that his name means lover of God and that Luke chose to actually disciple this man. So both these books are written to him. Um, We notice this. This is talking about names. I think this is crazy, and this goes unnoticed oftentimes, is that he references the apostles. Did you guys know that? It says in verse 2, after giving his chosen apostles further instructions. So Jesus is talking to somebody. Who is he talking to? The apostles. But who are the apostles? They are the disciples. So when Luke wrote his first book, he addressed them as disciples, and now he's addressing them as apostles. So what's the difference here? If you look throughout Scripture, there's been a lot of name changes. When some change happens in somebody's life, they get their name changed. Abram turned to Abraham, Jacob to Israel, Simon to Peter, Saul to Paul. Here, this one's not spoken about a whole lot, but it actually changes from disciples to apostles. And the difference is this, is that a disciple is a learner. It's a learner, you know, being taught. An apostle, it's amazing, especially for the book of Acts, is an ambassador. 
one that goes out and gives the message. Not just learns about the message, but one that goes out and gives the message. So let's keep going. Verse 3. During the 40 days after he, he being Jesus, suffered and died, so this is post-resurrection, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved, now the word proved there, that word is actually means historical proofs or convincing proofs. He proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of heaven, which I would love to be in that conversation. Could you imagine having a conversation with the one who's actually been to heaven about heaven? And you could ask any question you'd want. I would love that. Verse 4. And here's where it gets good. Says this, once when Jesus, or once when he was eating with them, being the apostles, he commanded them. So he ordered them, he instructed them. Here it was do not leave Jerusalem until the Father, that is God the Father, sends you, now here it is, the gift he promised. There's the promise, the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit spirit. Friends, that is the promise. The promise is the Holy Spirit. We were given a promise, and that promise is the Holy Spirit. Now, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, a lot of misconceptions, a lot of mystery surrounds his identity, his nature. Um, You know, he's referenced sometimes as the Holy Ghost or a ghost. Just so you know, he's not Casper, He's not some sort of mysterious, mystical, magical force. He is the third distinct person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that actually means that he means, that means that he is eternal. He's omnipotent, which means that he has ultimate unlimited power. He is omniscient, which means he's all-knowing, and he's omnipresent, which means that he is everywhere all at the same time. And so I was trying to think of a way to describe the Holy Spirit. Because that's, I mean, it's, it's so hard. And, and I, I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled all week trying to think of how can you describe the Holy Spirit. And it's really difficult. Because he's, it's, it, we don't have a lot of, we have some information, but not everything. We've never, nobody's ever encountered the Holy Spirit face to face because he's invisible. So the best thing that I could come up with is actually from the scriptures, which he's described at times as wind. As wind. And, and you can't see wind, Right? But you can see, we all believe in wind, is that correct? Yeah, we all believe in wind. If I came and blew in your face right now, you'd be like, yeah, I believe in wind. And and I believe you should have a breath mint too. But we believe in wind because we can see the effects of wind. We can see the effects of the Holy Spirit. Wind can be so powerful, right? Like it can, if it hits a tornado, it can go through a city. It could destroy that city. It could destroy a house. It could just, you know, we've all seen Wizard of Oz. You know, it just can destroy things. So it's super, super powerful. But yet at the same time, have you ever been so warm, so hot on a day, and all of a sudden the wind picks up and there's this gentle breeze, and you're like, oh, that feels good. It brings peace. And so the wind is mysterious. We can't see it, but we know it's there. We believe it's there. We can feel it. And it's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. We can't see him, but we know he's powerful. We know he's good, and we know a few things about him. And so here's the promise specifically. The promise God gave us was specifically God with us. God with us. Think about this. In the Old Testament, God was with us for select periods of time. 
select periods of time. So he came and manifested himself in like a pillar of fire, in the burning bush, in a cloud, in a tent, sometimes in a temple. Even he would come and in the form and enter into prophets or in people, and then he would go and come through those prophets and people. He was with us in the Old Testament for select times. But then we had Jesus come, and, the, and God was with us for a period of time. So for 33 years, God walked on this planet. He walked, he talked, he ate with us, he did miracles, he lived, he breathed, he, he was here with us. At Christmas, we all hear the story of God with us. That's Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And so it moved from God being with us at select periods of times where he'd come and go at his will, that he was with us for a period of time. And then Jesus says this, he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age, which I haven't had a direct face-to-face conversation with Jesus. I haven't seen him physically in my lifetime. So how is it possible that he's with us always through the end of the age? And the answer is the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is God with us all the time. We went from select times in the Old Testament to a period of time to the promise that was fulfilled was God with us all the time, available to all of us. That is the promise. In fact, the word Holy Spirit in Greek is paraclete. And paraclete means helper, but para, catch this, para, the prefix for that, literally means beside or side by side or to be with. Isn't that amazing? God with us all the time. That is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this as well. He said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Notice that it's a capital H right there. That means that that is a person we're talking about, the Holy Spirit, and the name literally means helper, to be with you forever. That is the promise, the Holy Spirit with us at all time. Because prior to that, think about this, guys. The Holy Spirit was not with us, not available to all men at all times, but here the Holy Spirit is available to us at all times. So then what happens next? I would love to like go through the text and then read it, but we're not going to have time if I'm going to do that. So I have to get through it. So the next thing that happened is that they head to Mount Olives, um, and that's where they're with Jesus. They're hanging out. The apostles are with Jesus, and this is a terrible thing to skip, but it was the ascension of Jesus. Jesus is giving them instruction, and as he's giving them instruction, he just starts floating up in the air. That would be awesome floating up in the air, and then he goes into the clouds, and while he's in the clouds, he disappears into the clouds, and all the apostles are standing there like, oh my gosh, what just happened? And then all of a sudden, two, it says men, but two angels appeared, and they said, why are you looking at the sky? And it's like, well, because a man just floated into it. That's why we're looking at the sky. And it said that the God, that Jesus will return in the manner that he left, meaning that he will come back through the sky. He will come back down from heaven to grab us. One day, if we're here around for that, that would be amazing. We can even meet him in the air. So that's what happens at that point. And then the disciples, being good disciples, good um, apostles, they went back to Jerusalem and did what Jesus asked them to do. And what they did is they elected a guy named Matthias to be um, the 12th disciple because Judas was gone. And then from there, when they're at there, we hit Pentecost, which is the fulfillment of the promise that God made. Now, if you've been to church a while, you're probably thinking, Jake, you're really not going to talk about Pentecost on the second Sunday that you've actually been here because you're not going to talk about that, are you? Oh, yes, we are. 
Oh, yes, we are. Because so many people believe that this event was literally the birth of the church. That this event was the birth of the church. This was the moment when the promise that was made through the prophets, spoken about by Jesus, talked about in the first chapter of Acts, is fulfilled in the second chapter of Acts when the Holy Spirit becomes available to all. So we're going to talk about Pentecost. So here's what it says, chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all believers were meeting together in one place. Why were they waiting there? Jesus told them to. They're obeying. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. So I don't know if that windstorm was just in the room or if it was so big that it entered into the room, but somehow there's a windstorm inside of this room, which is crazy. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looks like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Now, if you're looking for me to explain what that looks like, <laughs> I got no idea, all right? No idea. I, I, I've never seen a tongue outside of a mouth, you know? I just imagine these little floppy things hanging around up on their head with fire, on fire, apparently, like they ate a jalapeno or something went on. I'm not sure, but I'm not sure what that looks like, but a physical manifestation above their heads was there, and everyone present, this is huge, was filled with the Holy Spirit. I repeat that, filled with with the Holy Spirit and began teaching in other languages as, or sorry, speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. So here's the thing. If this is your first time coming here or your first time, um, you know, coming to church and you hear this, you're like, I got to get out. This is a cult right now. <laughs> they, I'm, I'm involved in some sort of cult. And I would have thought the same thing. But then I had an experience years back when I was just, just right around in the college time that blew my mind. I, w- I grew up in the Assemblies. Assemblies of God is, a, uh, is kind of a Pentecostal denomination. And, and I went to a weekend retreat, and I was there with a guy named Carlos. And we were hanging out and at, 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 at an Assemblies church. At the end of every service, there's an altar call, right? So it doesn't matter if you broke your finger or broke your heart. I mean, you could have had a bad hair day. You always come forward for the altar call. And so I came down forward and to the altar call, so did Carlos, and we ended up kneeling down and praying next to each other. And the next thing I know, as we are seeking God, asking for more of God, Carlos starts speaking weird. So he truly just starts speaking weird. I don't know what he's saying, and, um, and, and so he just starts speaking. And afterwards, I remember asking him about it and going, dude, what was that? Was that speaking in tongues? He's like, I don't know. It was just weird. And I think, I'm thinking Carlos is faking it, you know, because that's what you do in the assemblies, right? You just you don't want to look awkward, and so you want to you just fake speaking in tongues kind of a deal. Um, I thought he was faking it until... The next morning, when we walked out, we're getting in line for breakfast, and we run into these two girls, these two Asian girls, and they start talking to him in their native language. And they start speaking to him, and we don't know what they're saying at that moment in time. We have no clue what they're saying. And, and oh, sorry, we don't understand what you're saying. Like, well, how is that? Because last night, you were right next to us at the altar, and you were praising God in our language. You were praising it. Now, I would not have believed it if I wasn't there at the altar and I wasn't there when they came back and talked to him. It was crazy. They were, he was speaking in a language that was not his own. He had no idea. We had, it was no clue, but it was unbelievable. And it's the same thing that happened here. In chapter 7, it says, They, being a, talking about a crowd that gathered outside, were completely amazed. How can this be, they explained. These people... 
these apostles are all from Galilee, meaning they're not bilingual. And yet, we hear them speaking in our own native language. The multiple languages was a miracle confirmed by speaking in tongues, the promise that Jesus gave that the Holy Spirit has now come down and is available to all people. Think about that. The God of the universe now is available to all of us, and he indwells in us and resides in us. This is also what's called at times the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's mentioned seven times in the New Testament, and it's actually mentioned by Jesus, the indwelling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to do is I actually want to take a purposeful tangent, an intentional tangent, because there is, around this topic, a lot of mystery, a lot of confusion, and there's a doctrinal divide, and I kind of want to address it straight on. I get that it's day two, and this shouldn't be like what we should be doing, but we're a church plant. We could make a total, who cares? So... (laughs) So here it is. There's a doctrinal division here. So some of you are going to be like, I have no idea what you're talking about or why we're even talking about this. But this is important to a lot of people. And the divide is this. It's simply around the subject of timing. When does the Holy Spirit enter into a believer? Now, for a lot of people, they believe that it happens at conversion. There's two views. At conversion, that the Holy Spirit enters and fills someone at the point of salvation. Ephesians 1.13 says this, and when, you believe, and when you believed in Christ, that is the moment of salvation, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. When did they receive the Holy Spirit? At conversion. And here it is, I love this part, whom he promised long ago. That's the promise. Just so you know, this is where I stand theologically. This is where our church stands theologically, that we believe that you have all the Holy Spirit you need in you the moment that you ask Christ to be your Savior and you put your faith in him. That's that's what we believe. Now, I grew up in a totally different environment, and Assemblies of God do not believe that. In fact, there's a reason I'm not an Assemblies of God pastor. They believe in what's called a secondary experience. This is the other view. And that is, after conversion, a believer must seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Spirit. And the evidence of this, the way that you know that the Holy Spirit is inside of you is that you would speak in tongues. That you would speak in other languages, heavenly languages or another language, but you would speak in tongues. It's called the initial physical evidence of the Holy Spirit. That it is a sign that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. This is based off of five narratives out of the book of Acts, mostly in the conversations or the situations that happen in the church of Corinth, in the church of Ephesus. But the result is what I, here's what I seem to find in this type of theology. I find that the people that believe in a secondary experience, that they spend more time seeking the gift of the Holy Spirit than rather speak, seeking God himself. They spend more time seeking the gift rather than seeking the Holy Spirit himself. And so here's the good news. This is the good news. This is what's called a doctrinal belief, meaning it's an open-handed issue, which means you can believe this side or this side, and it's not essential to the Christian faith. 
You can still be a Christian and believe one way or the other. That is the good news. Now, where it becomes a dogmatic, closed-handed issue, and where we must agree on is that the Holy Spirit has come down to earth and is available to all of us, whether that's at the point of conversion or that's at the point of secondary experience, that we have the fulfillment of God's promise in the Holy Spirit available to us. That's what we got to stack hands on. Because that's, there's no arguing that when it comes to God's word. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I skipped over this part. And this is a very powerful verse. Um, when it comes to, uh, uh, this was when Jesus was getting ready to be ascended. He said this, and we cannot forget this. Acts 1, 8. And this is basically a synopsis. A lot of people think this is a synopsis of the entire book of Acts. It says, you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit is that we get power. Now, what kind of power is that? Like, because if you think you're going to get a, like, super power that you can lift big, heavy objects and walk through walls and shoot lasers out of your eyes, that's not what we're talking about here. You get power to be my witnesses. Here's specifically, scripturally speaking, what the power of the Holy Spirit is. He helps us pray. He brings conviction into our lives. He brings us discernment. And he provides peace and joy. And he even does that in the craziest and the hardest of times. He gives us strength. He gives us the spiritual gifts, which that's a whole other talk that we're going to have to talk about later, the spiritual gifts. He urges us to salvation, and he changes us from the inside out. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's the power that we have available to us. In fact, the verse in Romans says, the Spirit of God, this is the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in us. That's amazing. That is amazing. And we take it for granted. Let me ask you a question. This is, this is church, and everybody must answer. And since it is church, you cannot lie, okay? So you have to answer this question. I want to know, by a raise of hands, okay, how many on a day-to-day, beer, day-to-day um, experience basis, how many of you feel the mighty, infinite power of the Holy Spirit working through you? Raise your hand. Okay, so there was like five. <laughs> Five people, you feel like, so, so let me ask you the question, what is the disconnect? Where is the disconnect between what was happening in Acts when they were walking around healing people left and right, where they were speaking God's word with such an impact that it changed a world? Where's the disconnect? Where is the disconnect? Did the Holy Spirit fall asleep? Like, what's the deal? Where, where are we missing this? Here's what I believe. I believe that we have left the gift of the Holy Spirit unwrapped. We got a gift given to us on Christmas, and it still has the bow and the packaging around it. Now, I experience the Holy Spirit speaking to me at times, and some people who raise their hands, and some people feel him at time to time, but, but do we feel him on a, and know that he's there on a regular basis? Because you can. You can grieve the Holy Spirit through sin. You can quench the Holy Spirit through sin. You can lose track of his voice uh, from the messiness and the craziness of this world. But the Holy Spirit is still the same Holy Spirit and the same one that raised Christ from the dead and is still alive in all of us if we believe in Jesus Christ. But it is a gift that we've left unwrapped. It's kind of like a gift card. So this is a gift card. 
right here, to Costco. I believe if Jesus was around, he would shop at Costco. <laughs> Not just because of the, um, the samples, but because they don't waste their money on, like, advertisements or anything of that nature. They actually, uh, they, 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 um, they don't even use, buy paper bags. You know what I mean? They give you those boxes. Costco is God's store, for sure. <laughs> so, um, so I'm going to give this away to someone. So, um, Carla, actually, I'm going to give it to you. Can I give it to you? Carla, this has, uh, Carla and I met for the first time this last week. True? Yes. That is true. So this has $100 on it. Okay. <laughs> $100. I'm truly, this could buy a lot of hot dogs. <laughs> so, and it is yours. But I'm going to give it to you with one thing in mind. You got to remember, you can take it actually. It's, it's really yours. And it's truly, there's $100 on there. But here's the one thing. You need to know this, this fact, this one piece of information. That last year alone, $1 billion worth of gift cards were left unredeemed. $1 billion in gift cards were left unredeemed. That means somebody took the gift card, they got it, they received it, they put it in their pocket and then lost those jeans, or they, they, it's in the couch cushions, it's somewhere in their house. One billion dollars last year was left unredeemed on gift cards. You wonder why businesses do gift cards? That's why. <laughs> you buy it twice, basically. So that's for you. Just use it. That's my only, only thing. Just use it. That's it. And that's totally for you. You can have that. And think about that. That is just like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like a gift card that has been given to us. It is a gift, a gift that's given to us. God in spirit, in us, is given to us, and we just have to use it. Use the gift. It's an unlimited card. Unlimited. You can buy anything you want, and you can keep buying and buying and buying, but we lose the card. We're embarrassed to show people. You know what I mean? We walk in like, oh, I have a cash card. Oh, well, it's got a cross on it. I don't know if I want to show that. I don't want people to know. No, truly, truly, we've got to use the gift that God has given us. We have the greatest gift in the universe unwrapped, handed to us in the form of a card, and most of us don't even know where it's at. We simply need to use it and exercise that gift. That's my whole hope for you, and that's the hope for us as a church, is that you would use the gift that God has given you. Here's how you practically do that. As much as I can, I want to read through Scripture. We want to go through it. We want to see what God said to his people in the context that he said it. But then we want to give practical, as much as possible, practical steps on what you can do. How? How do you actually redeem the gift? Or how do you use the gift of the Holy Spirit? Well, here's, here it is. One is learn to listen. Learn to listen. We've got to learn to listen to God's voice. This is a whole nother sermon as well. How do you hear God's voice? Well, one of it is we've got to still ourselves enough to actually hear what God is, is saying. There's so much going on. There's so much going on. We're so busy. We've got things barring. If you're like me, you've got crazy kids running around in the house making noise all the time. Uh, it was so chaotic yesterday. So chaotic. I don't even, th I, if, if the spirit was speaking to me, I couldn't hear because my son was way louder, <laughs> way louder. But the deal is we got to stop and listen and listen to what he has to say. And here's the second one. Put yourself in situations where God's got to show up. Put yourself in situations where God has got to show up. Let me clarify that. I don't want you to go to the top of this building and say, God, I'm going to fly, and I want you to catch me before I hit the ground. That's not what I'm talking about. That's foolishness. Don't do that, right? 
But what I am talking about is he gave us power to be witnesses. And so let's speak up and see what God has to say, how if God will show up when we speak up. In the early church, they did a whole lot of miracles. What about actually praying? Why don't we pray for miracles anymore? Because we think, oh, man, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen, and if it did, I'm going to look dumb. But what if it did happen? What if God met you in that place? What if you chose to cash in that card and you said in that moment, Holy Spirit, I need you to show up. I'm going to pray for healing for this person. And what if they walked? What if that cold went away? What if my cold went away? I should have prayed this morning. (laughs) Right? What if that happened? Who knows? We've got to use the gift that God has given us. I pray that we would use the gift that God has given us. We have an infiltrate available to us. We have the God of the universe, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, living and dwelling inside us. And what is the difference between us and the early church? We're not tapping into it. They had no choice. They went out. They shared the message with reckless abandon. I pray we would do the same. If we want to have an impact on a community, if you want to have an impact on this planet, if we want to tell people about the heaven that they need to hear about and the Jesus who can get them there, we've got to speak up. We have power to be his witnesses, not just in Judea, not just in Samaria, to the rest of the world. That's us. That's our job. That's what we get to do. So I pray that we would use that gift, the beautiful, amazing gift of the Holy Spirit who's already, if you know Jesus, already inside you. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for every individual that's here. And I pray that your spirit would come alive in each of us. You gave it to us. He is inside of us. Help us to unwrap that and have the courage to step out in faith, to be witnesses for you. Lord, I pray for the individuals who, as they, uh, as they walk around their week, they, it, it, there's questions and, and whatnot. You do more than just help us to witness. You answer questions. You bring conviction. You help us to pray. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to be like you. But help us to be like the early church where we were bold, where they were bold. May we be that bold. God, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for making yourself available to us all the time. All the time, at any moment, at any time during the day. That is such a comfort. That is so much peace. Not easy every day, but it's, we have your peace in the midst of it. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.